remind you that next Saturday will be the first Saturday of February. The first month of 2023 is already gone. But the breakfast at 9 o'clock, great time of fellowship around the tables, and uh, men sharing with us from their heart and from the word of the Lord, and just encourage all the men to come and bring a, bring a friend with you or somebody who needs to be your friend and bring them next Saturday morning. Um, one other business matter, um, for those who are looking for your tax receipt for giving your tithes and offerings for 2022, I did drop them in the mail about midnight Thursday night when I got them all stuffed in the envelope. Uh, so if you didn't get them yesterday, you should get them tomorrow. Um, this morning I have with me, for those who are interested in seeing a cash flow statement for the income and outflow for 2022, I do have some, and also a sheet that gives you the assessed values of the properties that we own here on this corner. For those of you who are interested in those kinds of things, you can grab one of those after the service. And uh, we just want to thank the Lord for his blessing and your faithfulness to give. And uh, we are planning to do several things here to the building in the nearest future. We've already started ripping up some of the carpet in this part of the facility. I think this was in 1994 when we put it in. Um, and it has a few stains, a couple rips. It needs to be gone. Um, there's uh, numerous roofs on the properties that we own that will need a new roof on them before next winter. Um, when we pulled up this carpet, I don't know how much to share with you, but um, I knew that this wing over here has been sinking and it's only three inches down from that point right there to the outside wall. Um, I had terra firma here the other day, but he talked like the amount of money, it might be cheaper to tear that wing down and rebuild it, but we'll, we'll be, he hasn't given me the bid yet. Uh, we may just deal with, we just may live with it continuing to sink until it falls off. I mean, it, it, was, it was 1963 that we dug those footings, and uh, there was only a two-lane highway out here, and it was about three feet lower. And the street out here was two lanes, and we even had a parking strip next to the building where we could park, come in the back up. The offices were in the back. But the city just kept, and the state, enlarging and now there's so much traffic that goes by here, and in case you didn't know it, we are in a swamp. And when you're sitting here, sometimes when a truck goes by, do you feel the building? And so it's just... But thank the Lord, our foundation is not on sinking sand. Our foundation is on Jesus Christ, the rock of ages. And we are not sinking, but we are rising in his goodness. So that's enough business for today. If you have questions about the cash flow thing, I'll be happy to answer those questions. And uh, you can grab one after the service. They're up here in the front row. In 2006, 
CNN aired a program about Wilfredo Garza, who lived as an illegal immigrant for more than 35 years. Year after year, he would eke out a living by crossing the border from Mexico into the United States, some days finding work, some days not. Regardless, he was constantly looking over his shoulder. He was caught by the Border Patrol four times during those 35 years and bussed back to Mexico every time. Undeterred by each apprehension, he'd swim across the Rio Grande River again to find work to sustain his family. The cycle would have continued even for longer had he not made an amazing discovery. One day, Wilfredo worked up the courage to walk into the office of an immigration lawyer. And there, incredibly, he found that his father had been born in Texas and had worked in Texas. So he was a U.S. citizen. All those years that he did not possess the papers, the birth, well, he actually had the birth certificate and all those records that proved his citizenship, but he did not know who he was. So he lived with 35 years with guilt and fear as he crossed the border and went back. So today, he no longer has to sneak across the border. He can walk through the main gate as a citizen of the United States. His story is not all that different than people who claim to be Christians, who attend church, they give money to support the work, they attend Bible studies, they're active in the ministry life of the church, yet they have no certainty of their status. They have no assurance in their heart of their salvation. They live with this wonder. When I die, will I really go to heaven? The Apostle John, in writing this letter that we've been looking at for, I lost track of how long, he writes it and he says that you might know that you have eternal life. That you might know it. He did not want them to live with uncertainty. He did not want them living in with, in, with fear regarding their spiritual status and whether or not they would go to heaven when they passed away. For the past two weeks, we've been looking at his concluding statements as we come down to the fifth chapter of 1 John. And, and over and over, he says, we know, we know, we know. That word no appears seven times between verse 13 and verse 21. In those nine verses, seven times, we read, we know. So far in the first two messages, we've covered four we knows in this chapter, beginning in about verse 5 or so. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. So absolutely important to our faith. The Gnostics were teaching the beginning of Gnosticism that Jesus was just a man. 
And you know what? There's some cults in the world today that would have you believe that Jesus was just a man that God used. But Jesus was more than a man. He was all man, but he was all God. God in the flesh. And he came and dwelt among us. John wants us to know that we know that we are now the children of God. We are now the children of God. We have now been adopted into the family of God. We've been brought into the kingdom of God. Number three, we talked about the fact that we know that we have eternal life. We know that. We know that. What a joy it was yesterday to be able to know that as we celebrated Lorraine's life and uh, with her family here, to have no doubt in our mind that one day we are going to see her again because we know, we know that we have eternal life. And as I mentioned her name, thank you for everyone who was involved in the hospitality, the food that was prepared, the family wanted to make sure that you got thanked for that. Thank you for your presence here, just being around to encourage the family and to, to comfort them, and uh, just appreciate that very much. Number four, last week we looked at the fact that we know that God hears and answers our prayers when we're praying in the will of God. And we talked about several things that we know are the will of God and challenged you in four areas to begin praying like never before for the will of God, that God would send labors into the field, that souls would be saved, that, that people would be healed, broken hearts and broken spirits emotionally. There's so many people living with anxiety, fear. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to heal those things. And uh, well, I won't preach that sermon again you can find it online. You can listen to the audio. You can watch the video. Um, but this morning, we're going to go into verses 16 through 21. The final verses of John's first letter to the churches in Asia Minor. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Verse 16 and 17. Anybody bothered by those verses? Anybody just want to skip over them? Sin not leading to death, a sin that leads to death. You don't have to pray for those people, he says. Very interesting and very controversial passage of Scripture in terms of um, commentators and 
people who have far more education than me trying to figure out exactly what John is talking about. I remind you that when we interpret Scripture, it must be interpreted in the context of the book that it is written in. You can't just pull them out and make it mean what you want it to mean. It has to be interpreted within the context. Now, I could spend a lot of time giving to you all the different, but I'm not going to, all the different interpretations of this passage of Scripture. Remember, John is writing because there is false doctrine, false prophets that have arisen in the church, said we have a new gospel, we have a new understanding of the gospel. Jesus was just a man. He died. God could not die. God couldn't become flesh. That just could not happen. So the Spirit came on him when he was baptized in the Jordan River, and then it left him, the Spirit of Jesus, when they began to, the crucifixion process, the whipping, the beating, and all of that. Jesus did not rise from the dead. You have to have this special knowledge. That was what John was writing against, these people who had a false doctrine. They suggested that your human body, born in sin, shaped in sin, was beyond redemption. There's no way that your body could be saved, so it's all a matter of what you know. Go ahead and do what you want in the flesh, because if you know the right thing, you're going to make it to heaven anyway. If you don't know the right thing, too bad for you. That was the Gnosticism there are still people who are Gnostics today who believe that kind of stuff. John begins writing, talking about the fact that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all, all sin. And John tells us more than once in these five chapters that if we are indeed born again, one of the signs that we are born again is we will want to obey the commands of God because we love him, understanding he loves us. And out of the context of my love for the Father and my love for Jesus, I want to do everything I can to be obedient to his word. When he said there's sin that's not unto death, think about this for a moment, because remember what Paul said in Romans? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is separation from God. So is John saying something different than Paul? There have been, over the centuries, some people look at that verse Sin not to death and sin to death. And they came up with the fact that there's seven deadly sins. <clears throat> and if you commit one of those seven deadly sins, you're a goner. God can't forgive you at all. There's other sins that they, they're just minor. And I don't believe that's a proper interpretation. Let's remind ourselves of what John says about sin in chapter 1, verse 1. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. God is light. 
In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And he goes on in chapter 2. Remember, there was no chapters. So, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sin, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If I walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses me. If I walk openly before the Lord, not trying to hide, not trying to pull one over on God. I won't ask you how many sinned this week. But when you made a wrong word, a wrong statement, wrong decision that was contrary to the word of God, that did not put your salvation in jeopardy as long as you're walking openly before the Lord. It's no longer sin unto death because Jesus died for those sins and you've embraced him as your Lord and Savior. And as you're walking in fellowship with Jesus, even when you mess up, and John says, don't mess up to the best of your ability, but when you do, He said, if anyone does sin, he probably should have just said, when you do, when you do, know this. You see, when I confess and repent of my sin, I am forgiven. When I confess, when I say the same thing about it, that's what confess means, say the same thing. Instead of rationalizing Instead of saying, God, you know, yes, God, I know what I said was wrong. I knew, but I, and I repent to the best of my ability by your grace, Lord. I'm going to lay that sin down and not pick it up again. He said, when you see a brother or sister in Christ giving in to temptation or being tempted to disobey God, pray for them. Pray that they will be supernaturally strengthened from the inside out. But he said there is a sin that leads to death. It's not, in my opinion, the matter of a particular sin. The sin that leads to death is the matter of the heart that rejects the only means by which sin can be forgiven. The sin that leads to death is a matter of the heart that rejects the only means by which sin can be forgiven. In the words of the songwriters, we sing Matt Redmond's, we sing Lowry's song, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing 
but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I cannot do enough good works to negate one sin. I must come to Jesus Christ and confess and repent. The sin that leads to death is a heart that has become so hard that it rejects the call of the Holy Spirit to believe in Jesus. You remember Jesus, I know, just open a can of worms, I was going to skip this, but you remember Jesus said, all sin can be forgiven except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He said, you can blaspheme the Son, but you cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And most scholars have come to understand and believe this. What Jesus is saying is the only way that you can come into salvation is by submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit who comes to convict of sin and of righteousness. It's the Holy Spirit that opens your understanding to the fact you need a Savior. And if you say to the Holy Spirit, I don't need that, I reject that form of salvation. It's a sin unto death. And there's this thing. The more you reject the Holy Spirit, the harder your heart gets. There's a proverb. I heard my dad quote it numerous times. He who is often reproved and harden his heart, will be cut off without remedy. That's King James language. There's a place, a sin to death, where I harden my heart to deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John said, you're antichrist. You're antichrist. You're lost. Their sin is a sin to death. He's talking about these people of Gnosticism in this context of the first five chapters, these five chapters, talking about the fact. Their sin is a sin to death, not because the sin is unpardonable, but because it remains unpardoned. You have to think about that. Why is it unpardoned? Going back to what I said, the first note, you have to confess and repent. You have to confess to Jesus, I need you to forgive me and to wash me by the blood. But to reject Jesus, to reject the plan of salvation God's way, is to harden your heart. While Jesus died for all sin and all sinners, the requirement for forgiveness is to embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Whoever believes shall not perish. But he who does not believe, the next verse said, is condemned already. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John said there's some who've hardened their hearts beyond repentance. He's saying, I'm telling you, 
You don't have to pray for that. You don't have to pray for them. Now, as a pastor who's been around for a decade or two, or three or four or five or six, there have been numerous people that when we looked at them from the natural, we came to this conclusion. They must be one of those. But somebody did not quit praying for them. And what seemed to be unredeemable, one day the Holy Spirit melted that hardened heart. And people that we would have looked as one of those that were a reprobate mind that could never be saved, Jesus Christ saved them. So my encouragement is keep praying for whoever it is that you're watching and leave the results to God. We can't save anybody. We can't change somebody's will, and God chooses not to. But sometimes he kind of puts pressure on them to help them make a decision. So don't quit praying. Amen? Well, I'm going to leave that portion of Scripture and get to something a little more positive. I'm so thankful that John didn't end his book on that note. There's three more we knows that I want to look at from the last few verses of 1 John chapter 5. Number one, we know how to live. We know how to live. Verse 18 said this, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Letter A, we do not keep on sinning. Why? There's been a transformation. A transformation. We have been born of God, born of the Spirit. Jesus used the words born again. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he made the statement, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God in his mercy... I love that, but God. But God in his mercy made you alive in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. To as many as received him, John said in John chapter 1, verse 12, he gave the right, he gave the power to be called the children of God. In Romans and in Ephesians, we read in Romans 8 and Ephesians chapter 1, we have been adopted into the family of God. John makes the observation in 1 John, since we have been born in the family of God and we know that God loves us and we love him, we are going to do our best with the help of the Holy Spirit to obey his commands, to live by his words, to choose to not keep on sinning. This is a, a theme that he keeps coming back to, and I remind you, I told you the first lesson of, series, or the, of this series, the first lesson of this series, that John, he, he teaches in a circular manner. He doesn't just go linear, but he keeps coming back to points and, and keeps enlarging them and keeps giving to us line upon line, precept upon precept as he comes back to those things. And, and in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, he said this, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. 
For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. God's seed abides in him. The Holy Spirit lives where? Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when the Holy Holy Spirit comes, he will not just be with you, he will be in you. And he will come to convict you of sin and of righteousness. John says it's impossible for a real believer to continue in the habit of disobeying God. Not that we do not on an occasion say or do the wrong thing, but the convicting power and the presence of the Holy Spirit assures us we do not have to be a slave to sin. We do not have to be owned by our desires and their lust. John Stott put it this way, sin and the child of God are incompatible. They're incompatible. John has said that we do not go on sinning. However, they occasionally meet. Occasionally. Anger might get the best of us and we do something we shouldn't have done. But they cannot live together in harmony. We cannot continue on in sin and be in fellowship with the Father. We cannot live in, in, in sin. And I've said it before that once you're born again, you'll never again be a happy sinner. Because the Holy Spirit will come and say, you're doing the wrong thing. Because our Father said, I love you. Because I love you, I will discipline you. A good father, and in that Hebrews, he said, a good father disciplines his son because he loves him. Disciplines his girls, too, because he loves them. And the father will discipline. So you'll never be a good sinner again once you've asked Jesus Christ in your heart. You'll always be miserable. So you might as well confess and repent and live in the fullness of his joy. Amen? We do not keep on sinning. Let it be. We trust in divine protection. We trust in divine protection. I want to read verse 18 again. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. There's a powerful truth in that verse that's kind of hidden because of we lose something in the translation. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. Who's that? Who's born of God? That's believers. But he was born of God, protects him. Who's that one? If we read it from more of the original language, it would have gotten the only begotten. But he who was the only begotten protects him. The second one is Jesus. He walks with us. He walks with us. There's no temptation that's come upon man, but such as common to man, but God provides a way of escape. 
part of the escape is we have divine enablement because Jesus Christ lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ in me. And I'm in Christ. On Wednesday morning, we've been in, in Philippians for a while, and, and we spent quite a while in the 13th verse of the 4th chapter, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if you look at the original language, it could say, I do all things in Christ who strengthens me. And then I gave them 27 verses that Paul used that phrase, in Christ. Just Paul. I didn't do any, any other, other, but just 27 verses in Paul's letters, in his 13 letters, I found 27 times where he talks about being in Christ and Christ in us. I choose to reckon myself dead to sin and alive to Christ. Because when he was crucified, I was crucified with him. When he resurrected, I was resurrected with him. The last part of verse 18 says this, and the evil one does not touch him. The evil one, little translation, does not cling to him. The evil one does not lay hold of him. Satan is our enemy. He comes to us and tempts us. That's what the fiery darts are that Paul refers to in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. He tempts us to sin. But he cannot touch us without the permission of the Father. Read Job chapter 1 and 2. That's what John says right here. They, that, that he can, he, will bo- he who is born of God, talking about Jesus, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Who? The one who's been born of God. The one who's been... Remember when Paul said, I have this thorn in my flesh. Satan gave it to me to buffet me. And you say, well, if Satan gave it to him, then God should take it away. But God used that and said, when Paul said, take it away, Lord. And the Lord said, no, I think you need that. Because it's in your weakness my strength is made perfect. And Paul said, well, then I'll glory in my weakness that your strength may be perfect. Look at what Jesus said in, in John 10, 20, or 10, 28. He's talking here about being the good shepherd. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I don't know about you, but I thank the Lord for that security that I have. I'm in Christ, and Satan cannot take me out. 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who's in you is greater than he is in the world. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? 
We know how to live. We do not continue to sin because we have the presence and the power of Jesus Christ. And the devil cannot touch us. We trust in divine protection. And we do it this way. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Submit yourself. Number two, not only do we know how to live, but we know who we are. We know who we are. John keeps coming back to this point. Verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The NIV puts it this way, we know that we are the children of God. We are the children of God. So letter A is this, we belong to God. We've come to understand that from the scriptures. All that we are comes from him. We belong to God, body, mind, and spirit. We are not our own. We've been bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that now we are the children of God, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's amazing to me that God delights in calling us his children. We read in 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it did not know him. We are the children of God. It happened to me again this week, and it seems to happen more often than it ever did before, and I'm not sure what that's all about, but I walked into a hospital room to pray with a man that I had not seen in, I don't know, 20 years or more. And uh, when I walked in, he was talking to the chaplain from the hospital, and he looked past the chaplain and said, oh, you made it, you came in. And then the next thing out of his mouth was, you look just like your dad. I said, I've heard that once. And he said, you sound just like your dad. And if he said it once, he said it five times in the next three minutes. How much I look like my dad and sound like my dad. And I'm not my dad. but uh, I say that because that's God's plan for you and I, is that we look like our father, that we sound more and more like our father. The older we get, the more mature we get in Christ, the more we take on his nature, his likeness. And people see that's a child of God. I know that person belongs to the family of God. I love what Paul talks about, the fact he's changing us from glory to glory to glory. Glory being kabod, the, the weight, that thing that's precious about God, that thing that is, is real. He's changing us. Letter B, we do not belong to the evil one. Thank God. 
We do not belong. He said, we know that we're from God. The world lies in the power of the evil one. There are two groups of people who live in the world. Now, I know there's a huge number of ethnic groups of people, numerous nations and nationalities, but you can divide them all into two groups when you begin to speak on a spiritual level. You either belong to God and his kingdom or you belong to Satan and his kingdom. No third group, no middle group. In fact, Paul said in Ephesians, to you who are believers, you did belong to Satan at one point, but you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and now you've been adopted into the family of God. Those who are not in the family of God, they're living under the influence of the evil one. They're not part of the kingdom of God, they're part of the kingdom of darkness. People are serving Satan and they don't even know it. And he's not going to tell them. He doesn't bother the people who aren't seeking Jesus Christ. He already has them. He uses them to promote his agenda because they're living in deception. It's a matter of lordship. He said the world is under the influence of the evil one. All you have to do is watch the news and read the, read the news. The things that people are doing today can only be explained by they're under the influence of the evil one. The culture of the world, the secularized world that we live in, is a picture of Satan's hatred for God and everything godly. But because we are not of this world, because we are the kingdom of God, because Jesus Christ is our Lord, we have been commissioned to be light and salt in this world that's under the influence of Satan. We are not to be of the world in terms of acting like those who have no regard for God. We are told to come out from them and be separate. That does not mean, that does not mean to be reclusive, to build communes, build walls around us, and not let any sinners in. It means that we live under the lordship of Jesus Christ in the midst of all of them as light and salt, dispelling the darkness, God using us to open their eyes to the reality of who he is. God wants to use us as a channel. Jude said this, in the 21st or the 20th birth of the only chapter, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying to the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. If we paraphrase that, you need to hate the sin, but love the sinners and pray for them. 
hate the sin and don't become involved in it, but have mercy. And in that mercy, do everything you can to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to snatch them out of the fire to come. We know how to live and we know who we are. Number three, we know whom we believe. We know whom we believe. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, thank God, so that you may know him who's true, and we are in him who's true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God, the eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. We believe in the true God. We believe in the true God. John declares that we know who Jesus was. He's the Son of God. The Gnostics could not believe that. But John, in, his, in, in contradiction to their false teaching, declares, the Son of God has come. Remember how he started this letter. Back in verse 1 of chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, we've seen with our own eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. He started his message, Jesus is the Son of God. He ends his message, Jesus is the Son of God who revealed to us the heart of God. Reveal to us the plan and the purpose of God. And let her be, we are in him. We are in him. Not only did he reveal the truth about who God is, but Jesus has brought us into the closest possible union with the one and only true brought us into the closest possible union. To my mind comes the words of Song of Solomon. I am my beloved's, and he is mine, and his banner over me is love. The picture of a husband and a wife, lovers. I am my beloved's. We are in that kind of union with Christ. He is the groom and we are the bride. He's the father. We are his children. A large portion of the world today claims to be spiritual. They don't believe in Jesus, the Son of God, or salvation is found in him alone. You see, there's something inherent in all of us that wants to believe in the eternal. That's because... Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastic, God put eternity in our hearts. John concludes this message. He is the true God. He is eternal life. Jesus, God's son. I want to ask you this morning, have you entered into a personal relationship 
with Jesus Christ? Have you made him the Lord of your life? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt if today is your last day and before the sun sets, you close your eyes and then stand before God, will he say, enter in, my child? I believe you can know that beyond a shadow of a doubt if you've made everything open and clear before the Father and said, Father in heaven, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins, and you raised him on Easter Sunday morning, and today he's in heaven, and he's coming back again. Forgive me my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Now, a lot of people pray for forgiveness of sin, but they forget that it says, I must confess that he is my Lord. And I'll follow you all the days of my life by your goodness and by your grace. And you will know, because the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit. I'm a child of God. I have a hope. Last note. No, next to the last note, excuse me. We guard our hearts with all diligence. Guard our hearts. Little children, keep yourself from idols. If you read the Proverbs, you know that the Proverbs said, above all, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep yourself from idols. What's an idol? An idol is anything that occupies the place that God justly deserves in your heart and life. All through, all through the history of mankind, clear back in the book of Genesis, people seemed to want a God they could see. So they would take a piece of wood, a piece of metal, a stone, and they would carve from the same thing that they built a fire with, the same thing they made jewelry with. The same, they would carve something out of it and say, this is my God. They'd even give it a name and say, what is it responsible for? But since they weren't omnipotent, they would have to make another God, one for the rain, one for the sun, and on and on. And, and God, through the prophets, kind of makes fun of them. There are places today where that still takes place. There are people who live in the United States who have an idol in their house, a little whatever that's made. But Jesus let us know that we can make idols out of stuff. He said you can't love, the King James says, mammon and me at the same time living in a culture that is so materialistic, it can become very easy to have an idol. Money, house, cars, clothes, fame. I mean, there's a show, American Idol. Be somebody that everybody looks up to 
and win a million dollars and get a show in Vegas, be an idol. We are most susceptible to idolatry on that level. Our heart being distracted by what we see with our eyes. How did John say it? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Beware, be on guard. Guard your heart with all diligence. In this case, he's probably talking about the false teachings. In this day and age of the woke culture and the critical race theory, guard your heart with all the diligence. Embrace the word of God. Love the Christ of the word and not the Christ of man's imagination. There are churches who think they can have Jesus the way they want Jesus to match what's politically correct. It can't happen. It can't happen. We know. We know how to live. We know who we are. We know whom we believe. Romans 8.38 says this, for I am sure. I think the King James says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The final note with going back to the illustration I began with, I will never forget that. I am a child of God and there's nothing that can separate me from my Father in heaven and his love for me. Amen? Stand and sing with me. I am who you say I am. <laughs>